Okay. Parshas Vayigash. Now, at this point, this is one of the most intense weekly portions, period. Because we're in the middle of the tremendous saga and drama of Joseph. And last week's Torah portion ends off that, uh, you know, it's getting very intense because the the brothers don't realize it's Joseph and Joseph is is kind of being very threatening. And, and what happens is, is basically they're on the verge of a war. And Yosef knows his brothers and he knows that two of his brothers, when they were teenagers, wiped out a whole city. And as amazing as Egypt war, and sure Egypt would win any war, he knew to mess with his 10 very motivated uh, brothers would be not a good thing. Uh, and uh, it wouldn't be good for anybody. So he basically is on the verge of uh, letting, of, of uh, trying to de-escalate. You know, right now I know over the past seven, eight months there's been a lot of uh, talk about how do you de-escalate civil unrest. And I think a lot can be learned from um, the way Yosef handled this. Uh, so we had, so let's jump in. We got some, uh, we got some good, uh, good lessons to focus on. So in chapter forty-five, verse uh, one, which uh, basically we're at the point where Yosef says he's gonna, he's just gonna burst. He can't hold it anymore, and he's want, and he's in full control. But he realizes he's getting to the point where he's gonna lose control. And the verse says, verse 1, now Joseph could not restrain himself in the presence of all who stood before him because he was a, he was a king. So you had all the king's horses and all the king's men, and you had, you had the brothers. So he yells out, the verse says, get everyone out of here. Get everyone out of here. And all that was left was Yosef and his brothers. Now he kind of made himself a little vulnerable here. Here you have these 10 men who are angry at him, and he kicks everyone out. So one of all the commentators, in, in one way or another, they point out over here the tremendous virtue of Yosef. Yosef, why did he kick everybody out? He kicked everybody out because he didn't want to embarrass his brothers. He was about to tell them who he was, and he knew they would be an utter embarrassment for what they had did to him. And... and um, and, uh, you know, but, and he knew that he actually maybe even was putting himself at, uh, at risk and he doesn't do it. And he, um, you know, so you, so what's the lesson, you know, first of all, there's a lesson in, in, you know, restraint, but the much, much more deeper lesson is that when often we might feel when our emotions are high, when we feel stressed, we feel hurt. We feel anxious. We, we feel that it's cor- it could, we could, and we all do it sometimes. I don't think we're bad people if we do it, but we could uh, look at that as a, an alibi, as a reason to then not take into account other people's feelings. But Yosef is, you know, he certainly, he, he had every reason in the world to say, look, you know, it's their issue. You know, let them, you know, they got themselves into this. Uh, they're going to have to deal with the consequences. But he still is able to 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 say, you know what? I know I'm having all these these, these this experience, but I don't need to put them through it. And uh, that's a, that's a very high level thing. They say, says in uh, the Talmud, you could tell who a person is through their wallet, 
their cup and their anger. And when it comes to money, when the person is a little bit inebriated, when a person is angry, you, you see who, who they really are. And here you see Yosef was in such a stressful situation. Uh, you, you, you know, not, you know uh, not that when you're stressed, that's who you really are. But to some degree, that's who you are, you are at, your, at your core because, um, you know, your guard's down. So that's one, one uh, idea we learned from, from, uh, from Yosef. Now, the story continues. And a few verses later, so Joseph reveals himself. He says the famous words, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And they had nothing to say. They were just utterly speechless. So in verse 5, he says, he basically, they have nothing to say. And he goes on a whole litany. He goes on a whole speech, basically trying to put them at ease and trying to give them his perspective on things. And in doing that, he says, now, be not distressed. Don't reproach yourselves for having sold me here, for it was it was it was to be. It was uh, God had this all planned out. It's like you know, yeah, you think that you're the one who got me here. Well, God wanted me here. It is so much to look at here, but what I want to focus on first is that again, again, this is I think something we all can do. But again, it's, it's nice to know what the what the bar really is, uh, and what 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 uh, we're shooting for, um, with time. Second. Okay. So, what do you see here? Yosef basically, at this point, could have expected he could have stood on ceremony, and could have expected an apology, an explanation, something. We were wrong, but what does he do? He sees there like fishing for words, they're speechless, they're embarrassed. And he gets that they they get it. They get it. They totally get it. And since he gets that they totally get it, he does them the favor of helping them feel better about it, which is insane. You think about it. When we get hurt by someone, you know, we want them, even if they get it, we want them to feel it. We want them to make us feel better. And that's a normal response, but we see that the the what the high level what we're really shooting for is with time. Again, a person has to be true to true to, to to where they're at. But it's but we see that uh, objectively speaking, it it is a goal to you know someone hurt you to you know they you see they feel bad about it already, and, and they they probably regret it and they want to try and not do it again. They probably learned from the situation. It's actually a very laudable thing to do, and more than laudable. It seems like it's almost expected, if you could do it, to help them feel better. And you see this with great people. Uh, you know, you see this with, um, you know, we, you know, we, you, there's there's no mitzvah to, to you, in fact, you can't. You can't take revenge. Now, what else do you see in the verse? Um, in fact, Joseph actually speaks out very clearly his whole perspective on, on life, and, and it's, it's, it's fascinating. It says in verse 8 over here, Now, it was not you who sent me here. God, he has made me father to Paro. Meaning, it's this whole thing came from God. It wasn't Paro. It wasn't you. God made me master of the entire household. God made me ruler of the whole land of Egypt. This is just, there's uh, nothing really to add to it. That the ideal perspective and and 
much happier perspective on life is when one sees, we talked about this last night in the schmooze, that yes, people have free choice, but if something ends up happening, it means God wanted it to happen. Because uh, if God doesn't want something to happen, it won't happen. He'll find, God will find a way to have it not compromise your free will. Classic example is someone, God forbid, picks up a gun. They have the free will to press that trigger, aim it at someone, and God won't impinge on their free will, but God has the control to orchestrate a counter response and have me sneeze. You sneeze, and that's it, right? So Joseph saw, and he's giving this over, and this was his key to success. He saw everything as a um, as coming from God, and, and we discussed last night how this is actually the way how a person can navigate difficult relationships and difficult situations because half the time what's difficult is what, what, what makes a hard situation impossible is when it's, you take it personally and you think, oh, it shouldn't be happening. But as soon as you accept that it happened, then, okay, okay, so this person did it. But, and they, there's famous stories with high-level high level people who something bad will happen to them through someone else, and they'll look up the guy and they'll say, God, um, what do you want? Right, they they see it that way, and we, Yosef clearly was that way, and he was more productive, happier, a higher level person, uh, because of it. Now, again, all the commentators have a little different spin on what exactly Yosef was doing. And I saw what, another explanation of what was Yosef trying to do here. You know, we, we've all had the experience either on the receiving end or on the giving end. You know, you ever apologize to someone and they'll say or will say, oh, it wasn't a big deal. Don't worry about it. No, no problem. You know, don't think about it, right? Now, or let's say you do a favor for someone and the person tries to thank you, but you don't really let them thank you. You kind of say, um, nah, you know... You know, that was nothing. When I want to apologize to you, or when I want or, or I want to thank you, I have a need. I have a need that I know I did something wrong, or I got something from you, and I want to work that through. Part of when I say thank you, what I'm trying to do is I feel I, I have this debt. I have this debt to you. And I want to pay that debt. It doesn't feel good to be in the red with people. You want to now saying thank you could be really, you know, I could tell you, we all can think of situations where someone said thank you to us and, it, and it, it made our day. Right. So saying thank you really is paying a debt and apologizing is really helpful for someone for them to move on. So what Yosef actually was doing Instead of Yosef just saying, oh, they said, you know, Yosef, we're sorry for the past 22 years. Now, he would have said, oh, it was nothing, right? It wasn't nothing. It was something. The person wants to apologize or the person wants to thank you. You know, it was a big deal, except you know, it's not easy. It's not saying it's an easy thing to do. But but the uh, the thing that makes a person feel better in many situations 
is to say, oh, it, it was my pleasure. I was happy to do that for you. And, 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 um, or, or thank you so much, you know, uh, whatever it might be. So Yosef, if you follow his, his uh, response here, he's trying to allow them to actually appreciate what happened here. And, and, and that Yosef understood that. And he's not simply saying, hey, you know, I'm over it, bye. You know, he, 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 he's allowing them to, uh, to apologize. And it's not an easy thing to do. I can tell you, because I am, you know, I'm paid to be a little bit in the thinking business. I spend a lot of money and time thanking people because I have an organization and people give their time and money. And a big part of being the administrator is, is, is sending thank you letters, making thank you calls, responding appropriately when someone gives you something. And, and some people I could tell you are, are incredible at receiving that thank you from me. And they actually allow me, you know, cause you know, think about it. It doesn't bother me, but you know, if someone just gave me $5,000 that could make me feel a little wormy, but if they allow me to thank them appropriately, it makes me feel like I did something, you know? Uh, so we want to allow people to do that. In fact, you know, part, I could tell you this, that I'm, I'm also in the giving end in many situations. It's also part of what I do. And you, we all know this with kids. We know we have to play a game with kids sometimes. Sorry. thought that would be faster. Sorry. Uh, hard tapping. Uh, uh, we... Um, we know we have to play games with kids to a charade to allow them to feel good about themselves when they're helping us. But adults need that too, right? If someone all feels like you're always giving to them, they're going to stop because it doesn't feel good. And I actually experienced this with someone um, recently. I gave to them a lot and I feel like I, I, and I kept trying to give them opportunities to kind of like have it be a mutual uh relationship and it ended up going a little bit i don't say it's sour but it's it's not in, as intense as it was um uh you know so that's something that we we learned from um from yosef before we move on from this part of, of the story i wanted to mention one more lesson that famous fame one of the most famous rashis in the torah so when yosef says ani yosef the famous words i am joseph is my father still alive? Torah says that they had nothing to say. Famous Rashi says, here we learn from here, woe, 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 woe is to us for the day of retrospection. Basically, you know, here you have the brothers in front of their brother. How embarrassed they were. Can you imagine when you look back on your life, what kind of regrets a person might have after they die or while they're alive. Uh, basically, hindsight's twenty twenty, And, you know, everything became crystal clear. You know, the past 22 years, all the different things. As soon as he said those words, I am Joseph, the whole story made sense. And there was this, like, pain. Like, wow, we were wrong. And you know, we will discuss what's the Jewish concept of hell. Uh, it's not the Christian one. 
um, if there's a Christian one these days. I'm not sure if they have one right now. But, um, but in Judaism, the main idea of co the consequences of our actions is the concept of since we believe in eternity, that when a person no longer has the ability to make changes, they'll have eternal pain, the pain of regret. Person looks back on this world, we all have situations in life where we, we can look backwards and like, oh my gosh. And it's very hard to move on from that. And, and that is what the lesson we're supposed to learn. That realize before, before it's too late, or before it's somewhat late to, um, to you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, they say, you know, ask yourself, they say, um, I don't know if it's with kids or it's relationships. They say, is this something that is going to bother me five years from now? Is it going to bother me five years from now? When I look back five years from now, am I going to regret having done or not done this? And if it's not something, then if I can skip it. Now, there are things that uh, do need to be said or done, but there are a lot of things that don't. Okay, moving along in the story. So immediately after, Yo now Yosef does not waste a second. He realizes he, you know, there was a reason why his father had to have this pain all these years of thinking that his son was dead. And as soon as Yosef, he jumps to it, doesn't waste any time. He says, he tells his brothers, go back immediately to, to Israel and tell my father I'm alive. Now, Joseph couldn't leave because he was the head of Egypt. So he basically said, I want to see my father, get him and... What does he do? He's, now, he wants to prove. Now, his father thinks he's dead. And he kind of, the father already is a little wary of these brothers. Uh, you know, he knows that he's got to send some proof. There's no pictures, there's no email, there's no phone. So how is Yosef going to make it clear to, the, to his father that this isn't a practical joke? So what does he do? He sends up. He could have done a lot of things. He could, I'm sure he was very close to his father. He left home at 17. I'm sure there was a lot of things he could have told his father. You know, you remember my favorite toy, my favorite story, my favorite food. What does he do? He sends up wagons. What's wagons? Wagons were symbolic of the last Torah lesson they had learned together. They had learned about a Torah concept about a small cow. And the word for cow is the same word for wagon. An agel is a small cow. And agalah is a wagon. And that was the message. That was the message. He said that he was showing his father, look, this was my last Torah lesson. And his father, as soon as he saw that, the verse says he looked up and he's like, wow, not only is my son alive, but his priorities are still straight. What's the sign that he shows me? He's not thinking about physical petty things. He's thinking about the most important thing in the world, wisdom. There's a story, true story, with the famous Vilna Gon, famous, uh, you know, all-time sage, 
He lived in the 1700s, the Vilna Gaon, Rabbi Kramer, is a famous mathematician as well. And one time, unfortunately, there was a woman in his area who her husband disappeared. And it was very sad. And uh, she loved her husband very much. And she kept hoping he would come back. And she, you know, kind of never, you know, I think everyone kind of assumed he was dead. And she never gave up. She kept hoping he would come back. And one day someone showed up. Now, it's been a long time, and someone showed up with similar features and basically seemed like her husband. And he, he actually knocked on the door and says, dear, I'm home. And she was very, she had that special uh, woman's sixth sense. And she's like, mm, I'm not buying it. She grills him, and he li- knows everything. He literally, he says, you know what? I, I, I just can't put a finger on it. I'm not convinced. So she takes him to the local Jewish court and he says, she says, what should I do? He's, he has all the signs of being my husband. You know, again, he doesn't look exactly like, but it's been a long time, but he does look basically look like him and he's talking the talk, walking the walk, but I don't feel good about it. What should I do? The court said, look, you know, it seems right, but if you're uncomfortable, then, you know, there, we don't want to ignore that. I mean, uh, a wife, uh, uh, all women have, have a good sixth sense, but uh, especially uh, a, a, a wife, she, you know, we, we take that very seriously. So they say, you know, we got to take this to the highest court. They go they go to the Vilna Gaon. Vilna Gaon says, good question. Okay, ah, here's what we're going to do says, take the guy to the synagogue and ask him to point to where his seat was in the shul. They bring him to the shul, and they don't tell him ahead of time. And they say, oh, can you tell us where your seat was? Because, you know, there was a kind of shul. Everyone had their seat. And he starts fumfering, and he can't do it. And he breaks down and he says, you're right, I'm an imposter. I was good, good friends with your, with your husband. And uh, I, I knew everything about him because we were, we were good friends. And, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of, whatever, whatever his story was, whether it was well-meaning or not. But what's the point? The point is that if Vilna Gon explained, if someone is the low-level person who's going to be an imposter, they're not going to be thinking high level. When he's trying to be able to fool someone, it's not even going to dawn on him to think about the synagogue. And that's the same thing that happened over here with Yosef. Yosef was a high level person. And he knew that, you know, the brothers knew everything about Yosef. And maybe they could they, they wanted to just somehow undo the bad and make their father feel good. But Yosef wanted to, wanted to send, send the message that his father would read. He would say, you know what, if, if, if this must be the real Yosef, because I know Yosef. He's a high-level high person. And if he, um, if he uh, is sending such a message, that this is the last thing that we studied, it's really him. So it's a nice, brilliant uh, you know, observation. But I think there's a nice takeaway, you know, we should think about what we gravitate and what's like important to us. Like, what do we tend to talk about? What do we gravitate to talking about? What do we gravitate to wanting to do? What, when people think of us, 
what what do you think of? You know, do you think, oh, that guy, he that guy loves to have a good time? Well, you know, I do love to have a good time, and I think that wouldn't be too bad if people said that about me. But I would I would rather if people said nicer things about me. The more, you know, and most of us, you know, we won't be so uh, if and if it's not true, we want to change that, right? So uh, okay, let's move along. A few more uh, observations. So in in chapter forty four, verse thirty two. So we're talking about before Yosef reveals himself. There's this very, very intense exchange between Yehuda, between Judah and his brother. Yehuda is the leader. Yosef's the other leader. They're coming to almost blows. And because basically Yosef threatens to keep Binyamin. And Yehuda says, look, if you take my brother, take me instead. And he's the only brother who makes that offer now not mind you but was the youngest he was the weakest you know he he, he was vulnerable and though and there were his older brothers were less vulnerable so yehuda explains why he's the only one offering to be exchanged you know it's pretty normal you have a younger more vulnerable person typically the older, less vulnerable person will offer to take their stead. I mean, you've watched enough movies. That's what you see, right? You know, the, you know, the, the parent, the tough guy, or whatever, the tough lady, whoever it might be. So what does Yehuda say? Yehuda says, for your servant, referring to himself, took responsibility for the youth from my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, I will be sinning to my father for all my time. So he says clearly why he did. He says, the reason why I'm the one doing this is because I took responsibility. I made a commitment. And this is a huge thing in Judaism and in life, but we're, we're talking about Judaism, that, you know, there's actually studies, I believe, shown that you can have two people living together and they get along and then as soon as they make a commitment, a lot of times things start to fall apart. And you'd say, what the, what's the difference? They were quote-unquote committed before. They were living before. They were dealing with the same personalities. But now that they committed, boom. And I personally have seen this. I've, I've, I've dealt with, I've put in many, many hours in, in supporting and and now helping people navigate such a situation. And it's, 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 it's mind-boggling, this, this phenomenon, but it's a very common phenomenon. And the idea is when a person, there's a tremendous difference between doing something in a state of, of uh, non-commitment and doing something in a state of commitment. In fact, the Talmud says the, the, when someone does something out of commitment, it is 10 times uh, more valuable than in, in not a commitment. It's a little bit counterintuitive, and it's certainly against the, the going uh, wisdom on the street, but um, it, it, it's a much harder thing because you have no out and you're doing it because you should do it. We always have an aversion to doing things when it's the right thing to do, it's something we're supposed to do, 
and, and, and there's an and sometimes Judaism gets a bad rap because you'll think, oh well, I don't want to have to do things. Well, having to do things in a healthy way is the best way, uh, and that's how. And when, in fact, Maimonides, when he talks about marriage, he doesn't talk about romance. He talks about the obligations of the people who are who have entered into this uh, agreement. And uh, we see here great things happen when there's responsibility and commitment. Yehuda here, he is the only one who's willing to give up his life and he's willing to do it because he took on the responsibility. He would say, well, look, he was responsible. Like, you know, he didn't have to be responsible. So taking on commitment to others, to ourselves, to God, that is not something to be found upon. It's, and it's actually, that's actually the way that things happen. Personally, I could tell you, you know, um, you know, uh, I've been I've been asked at different times to help fundraise for different things. You know, I've been fundraising professionally for uh, I think 17 years. I'm in my 17th year of doing uh, being involved in those kind of activities, and uh, they will say, "Oh yeah, you know, you're good at raising money. Why can't you just do it?" I'm like, part of of what happens of the of the push to manage the money is when you have a responsibility. So I'll say, look, if you want it to be my responsibility, then I can say I can possibly do it. But if you don't want it to be my responsibility, then I can't, I'm really only, I don't, not that confident that I'll be successful. And that's just a really good um, lesson for life uh, about the, it, 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 it's subtle, but it's, it's a world of, um, of a difference. It's actually interesting. You can have you can have people in committed relationships that don't spend that much time together. Obviously, you have to have a critical mass, you know, sometime. But they can have a very deep connection because they're committed. And you can have two other people who spend all the day together. And they spend so much time and they have so much fun, but there's not a deep connection because there's not a commitment. Uh, and so this applies to all our relationships. It applies to our relationship with God, ourself, our friends, family, whatever it might be, even an idea, right? An idea. There's no, if someone commits to doing something, now again, commit doesn't mean you have to die for it per se, but it's a commitment. It's a, it's a reasonable commitment. Okay, so Yaakov comes to Mitzrayim. The story is having a happy ending. You know, Yosef comes to, Yaakov comes to Egypt. He finally can relax. He can finish his life with all his children and all his grandchildren. And he's set for life because his son is the richest man in the world. And Paro is very excited. Paro sees his, he knows Yosef has been responsible for the success of his country. And now he's going to meet his, the, the famous father. The father of this person and Yosef, I'm sure, spoke very glowingly of his father. And Paro was very excited to meet the father. This father, Minyako, not, not, not the, the father, but um, so famous inter uh, exchange happens in chapter 47, verse 8. What does Paro say to him? Cryptic words. 
Paro says to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? Essentially, he's asking him, how old are you? But he does this very long-winded way of saying it. How many are the days of the years of your life? How old are you? So all the commentators say, in one way or another, that he wasn't just asking him, how old are you? And I have two points, so we'll do one at a time. One question he was saying is that, you know, I see you are a wise, wise, wise man. You are an all-time great, maybe one of the greatest, if not the greatest person to ever live, one of the greatest people to ever live. How many days of your life did you have to use to do that? He was he was saying, how many are the days in how many product how productive did you have to be to be as productive as you to, to be who you are? Were you able to just do a nine to five? Were you able to uh, you know put a nest egg in and you know that's what he was asking him. And, and, and we know the answer to that. You know, the answer is that he put a good day in every day. And uh, that's how it works. You know, on Shark Tank, if you ever watch Shark Tank, uh, the Australian Shark Tank, I recommend. It's a little nicer. They have better meatos on there. Uh, and and um, one of the things they always look for in entrepreneurs is the one of the highest uh, things is they want to see a lack of laziness. If someone comes in basically looking for money and connections, but they're not willing to put in the time, they won't get an investment. Because accomplishing anything in life takes time, takes time. And, uh, you know, yes, there's a concept of being smart and using technology and using know-how how to be efficient. But bottom line is you have to be willing to put in a lot of time and a lot of effort to do anything. And if you don't, you can't expect anything. And I find that a lot in Judaism, actually. You know, people will be frustrated with the the lack of meaning in their Judaism or lack of enjoyment. And 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 usually, I would I I could say probably without almost without exception, anyone who puts in the time and the effort this into their Judaism will will find it meaningful and enjoyable. Again, it has to be strategic. Sometimes person could be putting in effort imagine someone wants to uh become a doctor and they go to a to a mba school and they they graduate and they're like this is crazy why am i not a doctor i went to school the past three years so yeah a person does have to be they you know they're, they're, there's three things they say that really are the keys to success in anything time um know-how and natural talent so if you, if you just put, if you put in all your talents and all your effort, but you don't do it in the right things, and, and then you could say, well, how was I supposed to know? Well, there's a lot of wise people out there. You can ask someone. Uh, unfortunately, I, I have met people like that who've had the frustrating experience of spending a lot of time on, on wisdom that's not really wisdom. And they, and they were very frustrated afterwards uh, when they really put in a lot of time and effort into something that wasn't really true wisdom. And uh, it, it's, very, it's very sad. Okay, another point on so another take on this exchange between Paro and Yaakov. Paro says to Yaakov, again, how many are the days of the years of your life? 
So I believe the Gemara says that Paro was saying to Yaakov, you look really, really, really old. Like it was just like, I don't know, like Rip Van Winkle, like, 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 like really old, much older than he knew he was. He knew basically how old he was. And he was saying, why do you look so old? Like what, there's something, like what's there? And Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, uh, who's the head of the biggest yeshiva in the world and passed away, I think, in the 70s, he said that he looked older, he looked very worn, because he had a lot of difficult things in his life. He lost his son, he lost his wife when he was young, when she was young, he had one of his daughters got raped and captured and never really got her back. I mean, he, he had a crummy father-in-law who wanted to kill him. He had a brother who wanted to kill him. I mean, you go through this guy's life. I mean, horrible. He had his father-in-law and his brother, their entire life were trying to kill him. And not only that, they wanted to kill his whole big family. It's, it's, and and he has his kids are fighting. I mean, all the things, all the worst things that could happen, um, most of them he experiences. And I'm sure he had a good attitude, but to some degree, it, it wore him down. And for someone on his level, it was considered that he really, he didn't take it in stride enough. And that's what Paro saw, and that's what Paro was... Um, observing that he, he, on his level, Paro was shocked how his difficult life kind of broke him to some degree. On, very, on his level, I'm sure he looked great. So it's a fascinating, I think it's really a parable, which I saw to bring out this point about how one's attitude and, and a little bit of cheer and happiness could really be so powerful. So there was once a guy named David, could have been anyone, and he was a very young, jolly guy. And he one time got into a cab in New York, and he starts to schmooze with the cabbie, and uh, the cab driver was a long day. He was not really interested in, in any jolly small talk. But he saw he truly this guy was a real, real sincere, happy person, and he really he 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 fell for the schmooze, and they started to schmooze, and uh, he actually enjoyed it. That was his last taxi ride of the day. He drops uh, off uh, David. He comes home. He's in a good mood, and his wife is like, "Oh my gosh, this is the first time in fifty years he's come home from work in a good mood." And she is just ecstatic. She doesn't even say anything. She just enjoys it. Smart lady. She just enjoys it, appreciates it. And she's happy for him, herself and happy for her husband. You know, over the years, uh, her, you know, given this kind of life, she used to show up to work or to her job, always in a bad mood. And this, the next morning, since she had such a great evening, with her husband who had who had who was in such a good mood, she goes into work and she's effervescent and she's puts a smile on um, everyone's face. And she even sees her boss, who's always 
always sour. And uh, she thanks him and says how good of a boss he is. And he's feeling like a million dollars. And now he's thinking to himself, you know what? You know, my son, I haven't talked to my son in a long, long time. I should really give him a call. He picks up the phone. He calls his son. He said, you know, son, Jim, it's been a long time. Let's go out for dinner tonight. They go out for dinner. And they have a beautiful dinner together. They go for a walk. And uh, the, the dad, whatever his name is, let's call him Bob, says he sees his son crying. And he says, why are you crying? He said, you know what, Dad? When you called me, I already had written this letter. And he crumples, uncrumples the letter. He shows it to his father. And the letter had said, to whom this may concern, I committed suicide because no one in the world cares about me. And he says, three minutes before I was about to commit suicide, you called me and said, let's go for dinner. All of this amazingness happened because that one young guy in the cab was friendly to the cab driver who came home and was positive with his wife. And his wife was positive with the dad. And the dad called. It actually saved someone's life. You don't realize how our attitude, and as much as we can, we can't expect to be perfect. We're allowed to be in a bad mood sometimes. But whenever we can, we don't... Well, a lot of us, we, we have more inspiration when we do, we, we can motivate ourselves more for other people sometimes, especially mothers. I know mothers definitely have that. <laughs> Dad's not as much, certainly not, 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 not this dad. Um, but um, in any event, but we all, sometimes, but we realize how powerful what we do is for other people. Two little more uh, little notes and then we'll do a quick review. Yosef. So the story of Yosef is coming to an end. We have a little more next week's Parsha, but it's, it's, it's kind of winding down. We're at the pinnacle of it. And Yosef is the only person that I'm aware of, woman or man, in the Bible that gets the accolade, the title of Yosef HaTzadik. We have lots of wonderful women, lots of wonderful men. But no one gets the accolade, Yosef the Righteous, Yosef the Tzadik. And why is he called Yosef the Tzadik? What did he do? What was unique about him that he gets this label? So I saw one of the commentaries says what was unique and salient, the salient feature of Yosef, if you look through from the beginning when he comes on the scene till the day he dies, he is, and this kind of little bit parallel song we said earlier, is that he is a person of responsibility. When he was younger, maybe he was a little bit too excited of responsibility. The whole story starts. He sees his brothers doing things he thinks are inappropriate. He sincerely rats on to his father. He's, he, he could have ignored it. He sincerely took responsibility. And everywhere he went, all the stories, he went to jail, he took responsibility. He got a job, he took responsibility. Everything is responsible, responsible, responsible. And, and, and that's 
that's what that, that's what we believe. We believe everyone responsible for everyone else. We believe we're, we're, we're responsible for the whole universe. We don't just believe that we're responsible for the Jewish people. We believe me as a Jew, as, as a person, I am responsible to the, whatever degree I can possibly take responsibility for. I, I have, to, I believe in that. Um, and 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 that's what, and that that's who Jews are, and that's what Yosef epitomized. Lastly, so the whole family is moving to Egypt. Oh, oh, they weren't Jews yet. The Hebrews, whatever they were, and Yaakov is a little little concerned. You know, they kind of had their little shtetl in Israel. You know, they weren't here. They were going to a very cultured society, a very powerful. Uh, influencing society, and he was concerned that they would go to Egypt, and then you know, I'm sure there were some redeeming things there, but uh, there were a lot of not good things there, and he was concerned for his family that they would be inappropriately influenced. So what does he do? He sends again, he sends sends ahead Yehuda, Mister Responsibility. By the way, those are the two messiahs. By the way, there's the Messiah of Joseph and the Messiah of Yehuda. Both responsibility. They, they got that 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 attribute from their ancestor. So he sends Yehuda <clears throat> Lahoros, which literally was to prepare. But Lahoros also means to teach. And we're told that Yehuda was sent ahead to create a school, to create a study hall, to create edu an educational infrastructure before they even got there. It was so important. They said, we can't even come. Education is so important. Wisdom uh, uh, and, and the ability to learn is part and parcel of the Jewish people. It's got to be there before we even come. And that's something as Jews, which we've always took to heart. You know, when, uh, when a Jewish family or, a, or not a family, uh, someone single, when you go somewhere as a Jew, you, you look, what are the opportunities going to be there for my Jewish education, for my Jewish studying? And uh, you know, so, you know, many people won't even consider going somewhere, uh, or you know, they would make sure there's a way they can stay connected, and uh, because we are, you know, that that's what that's what's kept us. You know, they, they be, you know, people wonder, you know, there's, there's there's a lot of books about this. What's kept the Jewish people? How have we made it? You know, so many nations have come and gone, and you know, what's kept us is our wisdom. What's kept us is our is our is our study of Torah. That's uh, that's really nothing really else to look at. There's all kinds of social, you know, socio uh, shows all kinds of sociological theories, but that's really what's uh, what's kept us. So just a quick review. Yeah, there's so much in this parsha. Talked about when a person's feeling emotional, they really have a responsibility to to not bulldoze other people because they're in a emotional state. We talked about how if someone did something wrong and you know they feel bad about it, to try if you, as much as you can to make it easier for them to, to move on, not to kind of to, to rub it in. We talked about how everything comes from Hashem. Hashem, every, Hashem has a plan. We talked about how allowing people to thank us and allowing people to apologize to us Talked about from Rashi, the famous Rashi, that hindsight is 2020, and to think about now that hindsight will be will be 2020. Talked about how Yosef 
gave the message of who he was through the wagons. The message was, yeah, my most important thing I care about is my wisdom. And that's how you're going to recognize me through the last thing that I studied. He talked about how Yehuda was the only one who stuck up for his brother because he took responsibility. Responsibility is a good thing. We talked about how Yaakov uh, was questioned about the days of his life. On the one hand, Paro was so impressed with Yaakov. He says, how do you become such an impressive person? How much time do you have to put in? And the answer is every day. And on the other hand, to some small degree, he didn't uh, go with the punches enough. And how powerful it could be when a person has a pleasant, happy uh, demeanor. And then we said that what made Yosef a tzaddik, Yosef the righteous, he was a person who took responsibility. And lastly, we said that uh, what's kept the Jewish people going when we're in difficult situations, when we're not on our own turf, is we always prioritize uh, our education for ourselves and for our families and our communities. So have a wonderful Shabbos, uh, and uh, thanks for coming on.